Today's scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 45. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is a child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of the Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill the promises to her. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Good afternoon. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and we're glad that you could join us for Sunday service today. Today, uh, we start off the Advent series um, with uh, the topic of joy, and I've entitled the sermon, Christ, Our Joy. And the reason why I want to talk about joy is because actually I think uh, joy is, uh, for the most part, really absent in our lives. Um, If you ask your friends at the end of the week, um, so what was good about your week? Uh, sometimes it's pretty tough to just recall it all, but then to try and recall something good, uh, it becomes a harder thing. But if you ask, oh, what was hard this week, right? What, what was the suffering of your week? Then it becomes really easy. Then you can talk about, you know, your boss or, you know, deadlines or, you know, relationships or whatever um, that didn't go right. Um, and actually, we are so good at talking about pain that actually um, sometimes it's hard to actually provide the right vocabulary to talk about joy. Uh, We're more acquainted with pain than we are with joy. Uh, Yehuda Michai, who is an Israeli poet, uh, multiple-time nominee for the Nobel Prize for Literature, uh, wrote in his reflection in his poem, The Precision of Pain and the Blurriness of Joy. Um, I printed that for for your bulletin, and you can follow along. But he writes about this, that actually it's pretty tough to talk Um, about joy and, and far more easy to talk about pain. This is what he says. The precision of pain and the blurriness of joy. I'm thinking how precise people are when they describe pain in a doctor's office. Even those who haven't learned to read and write as precise are precise. This one's a throbbing pain. That one's a wrenching pain. This one gnaws. That one burns. This is a sharp pain. And that one is a dull one. Joy blurs everything. I've heard people say about joy, great, wonderful, I have no words. The blurriness of joy and the precision of pain, I want to describe with the sharp pain's precision, happiness and blurry joy. I learned to speak among the pains. We are far more acquainted with pain, I think, than joy, and that's, that's why when actually joy hits us in the face, when it arrives, um, it it's almost like too foreign and too unfamiliar to speak of. We don't have the words. We don't have the vocabulary to describe it because we don't have the experience of it enough. But our passage today tells us that joy is actually more real and more tangible and actually more accessible than we could ever have dreamed it could be. And that's where we're headed together today, to see the face of joy together. And to do that, I want to show us three things from this passage, and that is the need for joy, the provision for joy, and the response to joy. So what what is the need for it? Why do we need it? Uh, What is it and how do we get it? 
And then finally, how should we respond to it? First, the need for joy. And I want to set up the passage, not exactly go into the passage itself just yet. We'll do that with the second point. Uh, But I just want to set it up by saying that this is the theme of joy that is central to this passage because this is a song, a song that Elizabeth sings um, in Thanksgiving and Rejoicing. Um, At one point in the song, she says in verse 44, as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And we'll talk more about that um, in the sermon. Uh, But actually, regarding this baby who leaped for joy, uh, that's actually John the Baptist. Elizabeth's unborn child is John the Baptist. And we're told of his birth um, just in the preceding verses in verse 14. It's not printed for you. Um, It says, he will be a joy and delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth, and he will be great in the sight of God. And later on in his ministry, John himself says, uh, says this, and he says, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. And so whatever this passage is talking about, and again, we'll, we'll get there, It sets up this coming joy that will complete all joys. And that's the joy that we are talking about today. But I want to ask a question. Who are going to be the recipients of this joy? Who are going to be the recipients of this joy? And if you would now turn to the passage at hand. Uh, We're told that there are two characters here, two women, um, Elizabeth and Mary. And they are going to be the recipients of this joy. But notice something about them. One of them is a barren old lady, and the other is an adolescent girl who will be the first and only pregnant virgin in history without medical intervention. One's barren, the other is a pregnant virgin, um, and these are going to be the recipients of joy, and they really needed it. Uh, these These two women were many things. They were nervous, they were perplexed, they were amazed, they were overwhelmed, but probably the last thing they were was joyful. Because if you were barren in that society, uh, you were a little bit of a social oddity, not to mention a societal liability, meaning that you weren't seen as a contributing member of society, you were only seen as someone who would, who would need resources from the society. You wouldn't be giving, you'd be taking. So you are seen as a liability. Um, and then of course, if you were a pregnant virgin, Um, you were a spiritual scandal. How could that be? And you could just kind of uh, imagine the the rumors and the talk spreading throughout the village uh, that there is this girl from Jerusalem who's pregnant, but she's not yet married. Does she know him? Is she promiscuous? And then the child, she would have to explain later that this child is the son of God, uh, which was blasphemous blasphemous to say. Uh, And so you see... A social oddity, a societal liability, you have a spiritual scandal. These two women were lots of things, but the last thing that they were was joyful. And maybe you can relate. Uh, You know, Christmas is supposed to be a time of joy, and everyone expects that, whether Christian or non. Um, And it inevitably inevitably becomes a time where we reflect back on the year because it's, it's the end of the year. We look back on the year and we look forward to the coming one But when we look back on our year, some of us have had really tough, really sad 2019s. Uh, 
Maybe you'll go home for Christmas this year, but have one less person at the table. Uh, maybe you lost someone dear to you, either by breakup or by death. Uh, maybe someone moved away. Uh, maybe you won't go home by choice this year because home is no longer a place of warmth because certain relationships have grown stale or sour. Uh, maybe you wanted to make a home for a new addition but it was yet another year of trying and hoping, but only disappointment and emotional drain. You know, for many of us, we'll reflect back on this year or the last few years even and remember only pain and loss. But at this point, I would direct your attention to Tully, which is Charlize Theron's uh, most recent movie uh, where she plays Marlowe, an exhausted housewife married to a basically unhelpful husband and mother to three young children, one of whom is a newborn, um, who actually befriends a night nanny named Tully, who helps her through not only the exhaustion of parenting and homemaking, uh, but through life's deeper questions about self and purpose. And she actually provides a diagnosis of the problem kind of in a humorous way. Maybe some of us would be able to relate to this uh, uh, comment more than others, but she says the problem is that your 20s are great, then your 30s come around like a garbage truck at 5 a.m. But right on the heels of that, she provides a solution, and she says this, I'm here to help you with everything. You can't fix the parts without treating the whole. Some of us have had difficult years. We want our specific pains to be dealt with like Marlowe, but Tully's words, oddly enough, resonate with the Advent message. That the ultimate solution to your pain and suffering is not fixing the part, but treating the whole. In other words, the solution to your pain, your loss, your depression, is not a salve for your wound, but a cure for your disease. That the solution for your pain is an invitation then uh, to see up and out past your immediate pain and to anticipate the dawning of history and creation's final redemption when joy will be irreversibly restored and paramount to a new kind of existence. Are we so acquainted with pain that we can't even imagine uh, the redemption's finale? Can you imagine this? Do you want this? Because actually the solution that modernity would offer us is that this physical universe is contained um, and, and, and is contained in it um, all the resources, all the raw material to sort of fix ourselves and that we don't need anything else to intervene. We just need our intellect. We just need our innovation. We need to just need our uh, creativity. Uh, to do it, uh, to bring about joy. But when was the last time you saw in the news that that was working? Uh, we don't have to look very far in recent history and even in the 20th century to know that actually secular humanism and the modern enterprise actually can't offer us a permanent and eternal solution uh, to joylessness. Uh, we need to be provided this joy from the outside and that's what I want to talk about next, this provision of joy. What is it? So what is it that we need? What is this provision of joy? And simply put, it's a baby. Uh, more specifically, it's Mary's unborn child in her womb. You see, Mary visits 
her relative Elizabeth, who's already six months pregnant with her child, and it's John the Baptist, uh, whose birth was foretold by an angel of God. Now, before this visit, before our passage, Mary actually is visited by the same angel from God uh, herself, who told her that she would become pregnant, uh, that this child's name should be called Jesus, that he'll be called the son of the most high God, that he'll be the promised Messiah, that his kingdom will have no end, and that Mary will become pregnant even though she is unmarried and a virgin. And Mary, with remarkable faith, responds by saying, I am the Lord's servant. And we're gonna come back to this. Keep this on the burner of your minds. But I am the Lord's servant, she says. Now we're at this visit to our passage and Mary enters Elizabeth's home and when Elizabeth hears Mary's greeting, the baby inside of her leaps for joy uh, and starts loudly exclaiming in song. Um, But upon closer inspection of the text, we find that actually there's something really interesting about this baby and the references to him. And notably it's verses 43 and 45. So go there with me. Verses 43 and 45. Uh, This is Elizabeth singing, and she says, For why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She acknowledges she perceives by the filling of the Spirit that this unborn child in Mary's womb is her Lord. But then in verse 45, it says, Blessed is she who believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Did you catch the wonderful, the, the, the course of history altering implication of these two verses together. Because uttered from the song, from the lips of Elizabeth's mouth in faith is the most important claim in history regarding the most important child in history. But you have to put it together here because it's easy to miss. Track with me. Don't lose me. Let's do this together. Just a few verses ago, like I said, Mary was greeted by an angel from the Lord, and after their exchange, Mary said what to the angel? She said what? She said, I am the Lord's servant. That's what she said. Now Elizabeth, in verse 45, says what? Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. This is astonishing what Elizabeth is prophesying, because which is it? The question is, is Mary's child, Mary's child, Elizabeth's Lord and or Mary's Lord? Said another way, is Mary's unborn child also her Lord? And the answer is yes. Mary's baby is the Lord God who just verses ago sent the angel to tell her about himself and his own birth. And it was at this that Elizabeth says that her unborn child, John the Baptist, leaps for joy in her womb. You see, the Christian provision for joy is not a collection of feel-good adages that, that say, buck up, perk up. Why? Because the sun will come out tomorrow. But rather, the Christian provision of joy is the Lord God himself who became flesh, who actually wields the power and authority to command that sun to come out tomorrow. In other words, who makes, who makes unborn babies leap in their womb for joy is the bringer of joy, even from utero. Someone with that kind of power. You know, could you imagine if you were Mary uh, 
giving birth to the one who created you, giving birth to your creator, God. See, Mary doesn't have the full picture yet, but in part, at least, this child that she will deliver will actually be born to deliver her. There's a song that I love during the season. It's my favorite song, perhaps, of the season, and it's Mary, Did You Know? And the best cover was done by Pentatonix. And my wife and I love Pentatonix. It was the first and last live concert we've been to. Um, we saw them in Boston when we were dating up there uh, before we got married. And uh, this song communicates well, really, this Advent message that Mary's child is also her and our creator and Lord. Um, I printed the first verse for you, but I'll read the second and third for you after that. Follow along with me. The song says, Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? This child that you delivered will soon deliver you. Verse two goes on to say, Mary, did you know that your baby boy will give sight to a blind man? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will calm a storm with his hand? Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? When you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God. Verse three says, Mary, did you know that your baby boy is the Lord of all creation? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day rule the nations? Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? That sleeping child you're holding is the great I am. Gives me chills when I think about it. You see, Christian joy is not primarily a feeling, but Christian joy is a person, and he has a name, and his name is Jesus and what does his name mean? It's derived from the Hebrew name Yeshua, which means God saves. And for all those math people out there, this is the transitive property, okay? Christian joy is Jesus. Jesus, God saves. And so what does it mean? Our Christian joy is that God alone saves us and if Jesus is the savior of mankind and also the creator and Lord of all creation, as the Bible claims, he and only he is the one with all power and love to turn our sorrow into joy. But then you see the copious irony in the gospel story to which this passage and this season points that the Lord of all creation, that the savior of the world, the alpha and the omega, the great I am, would one day be consumed by the darkness from which he called forth the light at creation. That he would be crucified on a hill that he spoke and shaped into existence. That he would be spat on and ridiculed and crucified by the people he created in love before the world began. That he would be rejected by the one he called Abba Father from all of eternity. Why would Jesus do this? Well, it's because it was Christ's joy to do so. We're told in the scriptures in Hebrews that let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. 
You see, it was in his perfect love for us, he would save us from sin and death by becoming our sin and death on the cross. Do you see that heaven's perfect joy became as Isaiah 50 said he would, that he would become a man of sorrow, that he might turn our sorrows into dancing and gladness and eternal joy. By his stripes, we are healed. As our sister Schwen referenced in her testimony a couple of weeks ago, and that was the thing that propelled him to accomplish our redemption and our healing. It was the thought of our joy in him, the God of our salvation. Do you see Jesus today? Do you love and celebrate Jesus, our creator, savior, and Lord God today? Christ, our joy, endured the cross for our joy. And so if you don't know him, receive him in faith today. If you're tired or distant, renew your faith in him today. And for the rest of us and all of us, let us be refreshed in him in faith today. I wanna end with um, the response to joy. We see the need for joy. Uh, We see the provision of joy, who is Christ our joy. And finally, what is our response to joy? What should it be? And the, the simple answer from this text is to sing to rejoice in singing, Uh, but why? What is it about singing that is the apt response to this provision of joy? There are lots of reasons for why Christians should sing. Uh, For a greater explanation though, actually, I wanna refer you to the liturgy sermon series where we already answered this question. Uh, Why do we sing as a church? Uh, But for this sermon, for our purpose, Uh, We should sing uh, because, for two reasons. One is, singing in praise of something expresses and completes your joy. Singing in praise of something completes your joy. C.S. Lewis said this, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes that enjoyment. It is the appointed consummation. Meaning when we love something, when we enjoy something a lot, our natural impulse is to tell someone about it. And it's not complete. Our joy, our enjoyment of the thing is not complete until we've done that. Uh, The second reason why we should sing is because Jesus sang. Did you know that? We can miss this in the scriptures very easy. But Jesus actually sang. We're told in the scriptures in both Matthew 26 and Mark 14 that right after the Lord's Supper, it says, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. You know, according to Jewish tradition, before and after the Passover lamb or Passover meal, they would sing the Hallel Psalms, which is Psalms 113 to 118. Not the Halal Psalms, but the Hallel Psalms. Hallel means praise. Halal is that other thing in the city, okay? Uh, I, but you know, I, mu- I wonder what it must have been for Jesus to sing Psalms 113 to 118 because some of the lines he must have sung included these right here. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this. Uh, another verse says, with the Lord on my side, I do not fear. What can mortals do to me? Another verse says, I will not die but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. 
you know, he must have known that what he was singing was about him and that the word of God would be fulfilled in the, the coming few days, his very last few days on earth, on earth as they would turn out to be. But he sang anyway, knowing that he would become a stone that would be rejected, knowing that mere mortals would scourge him, uh, knowing that in his death on a Roman crucifix, uh, that that would be actually the way to proclaim what the Lord has done. Knowing all this anyway, he sang it to complete his joy. And what was his joy? That we would find our joy complete in him. He sang He died so that he could purchase for us an unending song of joy that we can sing in this life and in the next. And so my prayer and hope for us during this Advent season for Exilic Church is that we would resound in singing in our hearts and our minds um, as we sing songs like joyful, joyful, Lord, we adore thee. And the last verse of that song says, ever singing, march we onward. Victory in the midst of strife. Joyful music leads us sunward in the triumph song of life. And so, Exilic, in this season, may we sing in our hearts to God and each other of Christ our joy. Let's pray.